0: There's so much going on in the world today. From the national news, to all our kids' sports and activities, to just our crazy lives and schedules, it can be really difficult to try to find time for joy. What even is joy? Is it a feeling? Is it just being happy? I didn't really know. But after spending some time talking with Colleen Greco, a joyologist, I've learned so much about how to incorporate joy into our workouts our nutrition and our mindset to leave more fulfilled lives. I truly enjoyed this conversation with Colleen and I hope you do too. So friends, are you ready? Three, two, one, let's go. Hey everyone, what's going on? I'm Mike Fancher and welcome to this episode of the MindFit Method Podcast. I am very excited because with me today, I have Colleen Greco. And Colleen is a joyologist, which I know joy is not something we have ever talked about on this podcast before. And I am so excited just to dive into that topic because even the concept of what joy is, is something that I think a lot of people really don't think about. And it may be very individual to each person. So I'm excited. I can't wait to have this conversation. Colleen, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to to share what I know with your with your audience.
0: Very cool. Well, it is wonderful to have you here. If you would, like, how did we get here? Can you share a little bit your personal journey and really what led you to become a joyologist, but really also specializing in mindset, nutrition, and personal training?
1: Yep, absolutely. So, you know, about 6 years ago, we had a trauma here in the house. One of my my kids was going through a really tough time and, um, you know, made a choice. And I'm sure you can use your imagination and figure out what that was. But he was 10. And that is not a topic a lot of 10-year-old kids deal with. And as a result, um, the doctors, the therapists, like all of the people that you would think would be there to help us, wouldn't help us, couldn't help us, didn't help us. You know, use your own imagination there, too we found ourselves at this crossroads where we were just completely broken as a family. We didn't know how to help him, we didn't know how to repair like our own life. And I can remember sitting right outside that door on my on the like foyer rug saying this this can't be it. This, this is not my life. This is not his life and as a result, I started just looking for these tiny ways to put joy back into my life. I just felt like any semblance of it had been sucked out of our lives and wasn't really sure how to move forward. When you're dealing with such a difficult topic, you're dealing in seconds, right? You're not looking towards tomorrow or next week or next month. You're like, how am I gonna get to the next minute of today keeping him safe, keeping my other son and my husband and myself safe? And so we really banded together and just kind of decided that we would approach every minute Just seeking joy in the smallest of moments, taking the dog for a walk. And, you know, yeah, it's an inconvenience. And yeah, they sniff a lot, but, you know, that's cute. And there's some sweetness to it. So you can look at it in a different way. And I started to look at our entire situation that way and think there's got to be a positive to this entire thing. Now, before I go forward, he is safe. He is okay. He's now almost 17 and driving me crazy as a 17-year-old would. So like, we're good.
0: (laughs) And thank goodness, I'm very happy to hear that.
1: Absolutely, me too, thank you. But it also caused me to just evaluate my entire life. My social media feed, what I was doing for a living. I was in IT marketing leadership and miserable and I didn't even know it. And so just started evaluating if all of the inputs into my life, my friends, my social media, my job, Didn't provide me joy. It went and I just got rid of it. And as the months went on, probably five, six months after that day, I had taken joy in food and alcohol, which was not the right way to cope and put a fair amount of weight on. And so as I was trying to take that off, I was working with a nutrition coach and I said, don't you want to know what caused me to gain all of this weight in the first place? So that you can help me develop strategies to never be back in this situation again. And he said, I'm not your therapist. And I was like, Oh boy. Wow. Wrong answer, but right answer because the joyologist was born that day. I said, I can do this better. I know what it takes to go through this process and have, you know, at that point, I lost 52 pounds, I've kept it off for four and a half years. And it's largely around mindset. So I'll pause for a second because I feel like I've probably spoken for five, six minutes <laughs> at this point. But but I mean, the, the two are just intertwined and you can't really address one without addressing the other.
0: As I was looking into the concept of joy, because I do believe joy may be different for each individual, but Let's talk about joy for a minute, especially the definition of joy, because I'm curious on, on your take on this. Is joy a feeling? Is it a state of mind? Is it the opposite of anger? Or could you even define joy as a skill?
1: Oh, yeah, you could define it as a skill. I, I say it's a state of mind. I say it's a choice. I can sit here and, you know, we were talking before we started about the rain and I can remember... As, you know, this, this whole situation was unfolding, I was walking the dogs and there was this guy that was walking by and I said, stay dry today. And he said, hey, it makes the ducks happy, right? Rain is annoying. This hair hates rain, but it it serves its purpose. You know, your, your grass is nice and green. Your flowers are beautiful, right? So you can choose to see a scenario as something that is joyful or a negative.
0: One of the big buzzwords today is mindfulness. It's Mm -hmm. something I hear quite a bit. And I feel like a lot of times people push mindfulness in a way where you're just expected to be mindful 24 hours a day, seven days a week, which seems like this impossible task. But I was talking to someone the other day and we talked about a podcast that both of us have actually listened to. And it was talking about mindfulness in a different way. Mindfulness in a way of what if mindfulness was something where at several points in a day for one, two, three, four, five seconds even, short amounts of time, finding the best in whatever moment is going on in that second. And the example that was given in the podcast was one that just absolutely blew my mind. And it was the Modern Wisdom podcast with Chris Williamson. And what he talked about was I don't know if you've seen the movie Gladiator with Russell Crowe. In the beginning mm-hmm. of the movie, there's, the movie literally starts, the opening scene is a beautiful bird that lands on a leaf. And in a moment, you're just like, oh my gosh, this is a weird intro for a movie that's about you know the battles of Rome. And you realize that Russell Crowe's character is focusing on that bird. But when the camera zooms out, you then realize It is a morbid and bloody battlefield that is going on completely around the situation. Yet all he was focusing on was this bird. And it makes me think of if we could do that in our own lives, even if you're at work, your boss is yelling at you, you're having a terrible day. If you're looking around the room and you suddenly realize now's a moment to just be mindful. Let me find something in this moment that is not a good moment to find the best of it. Mm-hmm. Is that a little bit what you're thinking in the world of joy, or take me further than that?
1: So with joy, I think I I tend to think I get to do this, even when it's uncomfortable. When I was in my IT role, I was not enjoying that whatsoever. <laughs> and to, to be mindful, I I wasn't necessarily mindful. Did I try to find joy in it? Yeah. I mean, there would be days when I disagreed with my boss and I used to say, you know what? they that is their problem. If they are paying me to do this ridiculous task, I'm just going to do it. And so I found a way to tolerate it. I think mindfulness is really around presence and being super dialed in to that bird and like the serenity and the quiet and missing the battlefield and the blood. <laughs> Whereas I think joy to me is like a state of mind and it's no, no matter what happens to me, I woke up today, right? And so I don't have to, I, I could dwell on the negative or I can look at the hundred different things around me that are good and decide to focus on that. So they're probably there's like a connection, but I don't know that they're necessarily the same thing.
0: Okay. Reclaiming joy, which mm-hmm. I think is something, it reminds me of saying of rediscovering yourself right? We're discovering the things that made you happy, what made you happy at some point in your life. Reclaiming joy is a very powerful mission. Could you tell us about like, what are some of the common issues or feelings that your clients tend to experience when they first seek your guidance, especially those who in the end may actually be lacking in self-love?
1: Oh, they hundred percent lack self-love. Yes, that is a great point they usually come to me saying, I'm stuck. Like I wake up every day, I kind of do the things and then I go to bed and it's just like lather, rinse, repeat. I don't really know my purpose. I don't I, I, don't feel fulfilled in the things that I'm doing. Weight is generally an issue. So my weight has gone up. They almost always blame menopause and there is some truth to menopause, but not all of it. <laughs> some of it's just your choice. But it's, you know, once you start to unpack it, it becomes really about purpose, sense of self. Generally, when women, particularly working women, they get into their like mid-40s, they start to look around and say, what's the legacy I'm leaving here? I don't even know. And what they don't realize is if they don't put themselves first and take care of themselves, they are giving their absolute worst to those they love. They think they're They think it's the opposite, but it's not. They're pouring from an empty cup. And when I tell them, you know, to, you know, I kind of show them the the facts that back up that, that philosophy, it's like they can't even argue it. They, they find, and in fact, one, there's this one woman that I'm coaching right now that says, well, like, I don't even know if this is worth it. And I said, what if your daughter heard you say that about her mom? Like that she's not worth it. Her mom is her hero. Don't do that, right? Put yourself on the pedestal that you deserve to be on and let's make some changes so that you can feel that fulfillment and that sense of purpose and self-love every single day.
0: For two th- th- Multiple things you said there just made me think of two things. It was like screaming out of me as you were talking. <laughs> the first was that I remember about two years ago, I was scrolling on something, a meme pops up on either Instagram or Facebook and the meme said, Every parent I know would take a bullet for their child, but will you live healthy for them? And it was one of those moments where even in working in health and fitness, as long as I have, it was like, wow, that is intense. And I don't think people tend to look at it that way. And you just dialed in on that right away of, what if someone else said this and it had to do with you, how would you, like, does that make any sense? And I think part of the issue especially for working women, middle-aged women, and I can't figure out why this is, but for so many, I think they feel a sense of shame when it comes to Mm self-care. They think, i it's not right that I'm taking time for me. But as you said, they have to take time for them. It's the same as the airport flight attendant who, when they're going through the plane and they hand you the... Uh, They're going through the whole process and they're like, you have to put your mask on before you help anybody else. And it's the most counterintuitive thing ever. How do moms overcome this obstacle of it's not right. I don't have time to take care of me. It's selfish to take care of myself. How do you help people overcome that?
1: I feel like, and that's a great question, I feel like they're looking for permission. Deep down, they're like, just show me that somebody else has a hard time, that their life isn't Instagram ready 24 hours a day. You see all of those carefully crafted, curated photos and posts that are like, we went pumpkin carving today and we like got the the chrysanthemums and whatever, like everything looks beautiful. And I'm like, me? There's hay in my hair. There's like, there is no pumpkin carving. That is like, the kids aren't interested and are gone in five minutes, right? (laughs) That's life. Like they don't, they put so much stock in what they see on social media to understand that that isn't real life is almost like that permission they've been looking for to take care of themselves. And as somebody who is a working mom, my kids, they're roughly the same age as, as yours. Who's done it and who's kept the weight off and has, you know, I would say 99.9% of my days are filled with joy. I'm human. I have bad days, but, but that I do have what they're looking for. I think that is, you know, inspiring to them. I think it's that permission that's missing. And I don't know why we need it, but we do need to do it all. We need to, and I do it too. There are times where my husband will start like trying to help out with the laundry and I feel so threatened. I'm like, that's my job. (laughs) God forbid he helped. I'm like, he can help. It's fine. It's not a big deal. He's probably going to do better. It's just that programming that we've had from generations before us. And we've got to let that go. It is in this house, at least it is a 50-50 partnership or maybe he even does more. I don't know, but, (laughs) but we, we split everything. And I think that's you know, we we have to we have to make that ask of our spouse to say, "Listen, you need to step up if it isn't 50-50, because we are contributing in many more ways than maybe we did a generation ago.
0: I heard someone talk recently about this the splitting, quote unquote, of the duties in a relationship or in a marriage, and it was interesting. I believe it was a 70, 20 or 80, 20, 70- 30 rule. And they said, there's going to be times where one of the people in in the relationship is going to be at that 70%. It's going to be at that 80%. You just have to be ready for when it flips. Mm
1: -hmm. And all of a
0: sudden, you're the one with the 70 or 80% because someone else needs the time. They need the support to be able to get through that. It was a great way to look at it because we talk about 50-50 or 60-40 or trying to keep it as close as possible when... It may actually be further apart, but it may also flip from from time to time.
1: Absolutely. And for some reason, he actually loves to go to the grocery store. And it causes me a panic attack. So that was an easy split. (laughs) Like it? Go for it. (laughs) I'll pay the bills. I don't mind.
0: (laughs) I think another challenge too, and I'm, I'm curious in your take on this, people hiring a coach to be able to make some massive changes in their life. And massive changes or almost like a reinvention of yourself
1: mm-hmm.
0: is often many, many, many micro actions that are often very uncomfortable. It's those tiny little things. It's those split second decisions. If you're trying to eat healthier and stay on a path of of not spiking your insulin and going into sugar crashes, yet that donut looks really good. It's not the donut, it's the three-second decision or one-second decision. But it makes me think too, as people are trying to hire a coach, I know one of the biggest obstacles sometimes is for a spouse to go to their spouse and be able to say, I want to do this, I need this. And I think sometimes there's this hurdle and it's almost an imaginary hurdle because as you said, they may be seeking permission to be able to do that. So if you go through the process, if a coach is explaining to you everything that they offer, and then you're like, okay, are you ready? And they're like, I got to talk to my spouse. The question then becomes, what are you looking for from your spouse? And one of my mentors, Alex Ramosi, put this. he's the CEO of acquisition.com. He put this in a way I've never heard before. He's like, look, what information do you think your spouse would need? In regards to you making a decision to do what's right for you? And the answer is, I just have to check with them. And he turned back on him. It was almost like a sales closing uh, conversation, but at the same time, it makes so much sense. And what he said was, if they say no, are you then going to blame them for one year, five years, 10 years down the road when you're in the exact same boat that you're in right now? Is it fair? To them to hold them accountable for a decision that you know you need to make. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was such an amazing way to put it because you're right. I think we often seek permission, but I think what oftentimes people are looking for, they want support. They just want to be supported in their decision that they want to be able to make. Do you face that on your end?
1: Oh, 100%. I do think one of the things I come back with is a please don't put a price on. Your mental health, really. And nutrition is a part of that. So to me, that is priceless for you to be at a level of joy that you haven't seen in decades. Can't put a price on that. Number two, if you were to ask me four and a half years ago or five, like, I never know what month it is. Would I have, what would I have paid for that same journey? It would be 10 times that. The outcomes maybe a hundred times that I've no idea. The outcomes that I have, the trajectory during trajectory of my life has been so amazing and everything is multiplied. It's just like it keeps going. I I can't put a price on that. I I thank that coach every day. Maybe not for that final comment where he said he wasn't my therapist, but everything else was great. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, I think. I think it is the support or or almost permission to stay the same because it might be too hard. And I tell people, if it were easy, everybody would be doing it, first of all. But to me, feeling like the walking dead, which is what I felt like, is so much harder than anything I went through on that journey. That's really where you need to get to. You need to be so uncomfortable with where you are that it's like, I can't live like this anymore. In fact, I didn't even tell my husband, I think for the first seven weeks that I was talking with a coach because I didn't even know how to brace it with them. So that's something I've really helped my clients with too is like, here's how you have the conversation. And it's all about your self-worth, your self-love, your mental health. And no one that loves you is going to push back on that.
0: Agreed. Tell me a little bit about the SNAP method. This sounds very intriguing can you provide like an overview of the approach and really how it helps individuals?
1: Absolutely. So I really believe the SNAP method found me. It was, a, I can remember the day. So the whole idea around the methodology is redirecting your response to triggers so that you're not running to the pantry or the beer fridge to self-suit. So it's identifying the triggers before they come and then through the steps in the SNAP method being able to change your reaction to those triggers. It also serves to help you retire those limiting beliefs. You know, like I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, whatever whatever the limiting belief is, we all have them. Some of us have dozens, but the SNAP method works for that too. And it's really powerful. And in short order, you can really put a lot of those those stories to bed. And what I love about it is it also helps you to identify the truth. So you believe the story is whatever it is, but then there's the real truth, which is often a bit different. And it's mind-blowing. It helps you to see people or see yourself the way that other people see you.
0: you know, we live in a world today that moves at the speed of light, right? You blink and the day is gone.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You get up in the morning, um, especially... If you are a couple, you have kids, you're trying to get everyone ready, you're trying to start your day. If you have pets, it just complicates it even more. You're trying to deal with all of those things. You're walking the dogs in the rain, right? All of those things. But when you're busy, you have to prioritize. It's one of those things where you really, truly have to decide. I have heard for years people say to me, I don't have time to exercise. I don't have time to meal prep or eat correctly or any of those things and one time i actually said back to someone i said you're actually right and they're like what and i think they thought i was going to say we have the same 24 hours in a day and i said you actually don't have time because if you continue down the path that you're on you're not going to have a lot of time left yep and the look of honestly frustration on their face they were offended and I didn't mean to be offensive, but you have to take that, you have to make yourself a priority. No one else is going to do it for you. Do you have specific strategies that you often recommend to really help people prioritize their health and their wellness and their daily routines?
1: Yeah, I do, I, I do correct them and say make time. So you don't have the time. I don't have the time for a lot of things either, but I make the time for things that are important. My oldest client, as we speak, is 74. Now you'd think she's 74. Come on, like, is she really gonna? Yeah, she's really taking this really seriously because she has chronic kidney failure and has been on all kinds of medications. She has type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure. We now have her off those medications as a result of her nutrition. Her mindset is all kinds of twisted, and we're working towards all of those goals. And I say, do you want to get to that point? The like chronic kidney failure to me is pretty extreme. And I don't want to be dealing with this. At 74, I want to be on like a beach somewhere in a bikini being like, I'm 74. And I, I do tell people I have a lot of clients that wait until they're sick. And I really wish they wouldn't do that because suddenly you jump to the front of the line when you're sick, when you're like, ah, I have diabetes. It's like, and you cause that. So let's teach you how to fuel your body and how to correct your mindset so that you don't cause further diseases. There's a lot of data around that to support it. And so sometimes I'll share like third party research if they really need it, but usually it's the story of the 74 year old woman that does it. She's not too old for it. Neither are you. And by the way, she said, had I known that 20 years ago, my high blood pressure medication would be ruining my kidneys. Like one thing is causing another. I would have questioned it, but I had no idea. And so she's really frustrated, but she doesn't want to live out the rest of her days on dialysis. So she's like, right. fix me. And she's yeah. she's doing great. I mean, you want to talk about dedication? Talk to her. <laughs> <laughs> no one is getting in her way.
0: About seven or eight years ago, my wife came to me and she's like, I want us to do a duathlon." I'm like, you want us to do a what? And she's like, it's a dual athlon. We'll go in as a partner. She's like, I'm going to run a 5k. You're going to bike 13 miles. And then she finishes with like a one and a half mile sprint or something like that. I was like, okay. I was like, I haven't been on a bike since I was in college, but sure, we can do this. So I got out my bike. I rode three miles. I rode five miles. I rode seven miles. I rode 10 miles. I'm like, all right, if I can ride 10, I can ride 13. You know, I'm fine. Yep. However, everywhere that I rode, was flat. I had no idea where this course was where I was going, which by the way, wound up to be nothing but impossible hills the entire way. (laughs) And instead of riding a street bike, I'm on a mountain bike um, Mm -hmm. doing these hills. So it was a fun experience. But I will never forget, I was in the staging area. So I'm waiting for my wife to come in from the run. And there's an older gentleman standing next to me. So I was standing there for a while. It was quiet. So I just started conversation. And I said, oh, have you done one of these before? He's like, no, this is my first time. And I was like, oh, we started talking a little bit. And he said, yeah, he said, I've done a lot of cycling in my life, but I don't cycle nearly what I used to. I'm only doing 60, 80 miles a week now, and which isn't bad for a 77-year-old. Wow. And I go... You're 77 and you're riding 60 to 80 miles a week. Now, at the time I was doing CrossFit, I was doing bodybuilding, like I'm doing all these other things, but I'm like, this is a whole different level. Mm -hmm. And I remember my wife did beat his wife who she was doing the run. We had split it up the same way. So my wife came in, you know, passes the baton, quote unquote, to me and away I go on the bike. He's like, oh, you know, I'll see you at the finish line. Uh, that was actually an incorrect statement on his part. He saw me about one mile into the bike ride and I never saw him again as he passed me and said, you can, you can do it. Keep going. And I will never forget that feeling of having a 77 year old blow past me. And it wasn't a feeling of upset or even disappointment. It was inspiration. It was pure like, inspiration. That's my to future. That's yeah. my future. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Oh, I love it. I had that one time we were doing just like a 5K. I think we were still engaged. So I must be like, I don't know, 26 or something. And it's just like a cute Halloween 5K. You know, you get dressed up and whatever. You don't really try that hard, except I was trying hard. And the guy in front of me the entire time, I could not laugh. him. The back of his shirt said, I'm 80. What's your excuse? And I was like, oh, no, you didn't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That is great. I love that. (laughs) Beat me. So
1: I got a little faster since then, just for the record.
0: But (laughs) I don't think I could beat him today than my 77 year old that I went against. He would still beat me. I'd be happy just to be in his presence. And that's the truth. Love it. Let me ask because throughout this process, when you're in the process of working to make yourself better and you're on the goal, you're on the mission, you're fighting for what you want. Do you see a role that gratitude has in the process of really reclaiming that joy in what you're doing? And how can individuals incorporate more of that gratitude into their lives?
1: Yes. And in fact, the P and SNAP method stands for practice gratitude. Just Snag didn't sound as good and snap as quick. Right? <laughs> no, there's gratitude for the whole thing. I mean, you get to do this. In the early days of me trying to get my life in order, I said, a friend sent me a book and there was this phrase that said, trouble is your transportation. Meaning this horrible situation will deliv- deliver you to greener pastures. And I held on to that. And I, I repeated that 500,000 times a day. It does. And you get to look around and almost rewrite your own narrative. Such gratitude for that, that you get to do this. You get a second chance or a third chance or a fourth chance. And I think the only crime is inaction. Anything else is is amazing. And I think people need to be, you know, one of the things that that I'm very passionate about in my coaching is we don't play the shame game. Or the blame game. like There is no negativity. Like you've you've done that pretty well on your own. We don't need to keep doing that. That's self-sabotaging and all of that. It's all about kindness and gratitude and authenticity, like you said. But yeah, there's gratitude for everything. You get to do this. You get to be a better role model for your kids or your friends or your spouse. and, And you're impacting multiple lives, not just your own. And I think people often forget the power of the change that they're making, I still get comments all the time from people that are like, your story was amazing. Like you really got me to do this and you got me to do that. And I was like, I was just trying to get myself in order. <laughs> but I'm glad if I died today knowing I'd change one person's life, I'm good. That's that's all I want to do.
0: Have you had situations where your story influence and inspired someone who made the changes that they needed to make in their lives and then have you witnessed the opportunity of seeing them be able to then pay it forward and inspire others or get others to do make change as well
1: yes it's like once they once they get it kind of like if you remember like when your kids started to walk or they like they would be in their high chair and you saw their brain actually processing how to do something and you're like, wow, that's amazing. It's the same feeling. And when you see somebody, when that light finally goes on and things click and they are just off and running, I mean, they're unstoppable. Again, not to say that they don't have bad days. We're all human. We all fall off the wagon or, or whatever and have like a cheat meal, which I don't even believe in cheat meals. It's like, have a meal. I don't care. <laughs> right. Just get back on your plan, right? Yeah. And we say like the victory is in the rebound. So it's not the fact that you were up high because you will fall. Everybody falls. But it's how quickly you rebound. And what used to keep me stuck for months then became weeks or days or hours or minutes. And so that's the measure of success is how quickly I can rebound and get back on track. And when I see that happen for them, it's like a newborn all over again. You can hardly contain your excitement. And then they, like you said, they bring other people along with them and they want to help them. And it's amazing.
0: Do you find when you first start working with a client, do you dig deep into their why as to why exactly they're going through this process? I know so many times it could be something simple, like a scale. Like a pair of jeans, something to that extent. Sometimes it's more serious. It's, I just had the doctor's appointment, my blood pressure is high, my cholesterol is a mess, I have heart disease, something to that extent. But do you dive into because I've often found if someone really goes back and starts peeling back the onion a little bit as to why do they really want to get better, they tend to stick with it further than if it's something superficial, even like a scale. Do you find that as well? And do you have any experiences? that you've interviewed had like that?
1: Yeah, so I follow their lead. Some people, are they keep things really close to the vest until we've built that trust, and that's okay. I let them talk about the scale for the, the first few weeks. Like, my goal is 140 pounds. I'm like, okay, we'll see, right? <laughs> I, I let them have that, but ultimately, we have to break the emotional connection to the scale, and that's where mindset and many other things come in. Some people are open books right from the beginning, and they trust me because they they've seen me on social media or they follow you know my show or whatever it is, and they feel like they know me already, and they will divulge a lot. But otherwise, I let them lead, and it's through their check ins. So when they check in, and I'm sort of reading something, I'm like, I'm gonna double double click on that and see what that's about, and then it just opens. So what their goal is, what their goal is in the beginning isn't often what the real goal is. And we get there. I don't push mindset right away on people because it's just like, they have to figure out what macros are and and whatnot. Right. (laughs) They're like, how many times I have to stop and say this. Do you know how many times a week I have clients say, but it was only cauliflower. I'm like, which is a carb. Okay. Like it's still a carb. (laughs) It's not bad. You just can't have a whole truckload full. That, <laughs> that is extreme. But nobody understands that carbs are fruits and vegetables. They think, yeah. oh, I eat healthy. I'm sure you do, but you eat too much of the thing. And we've got to scale that back.
0: So I don't think people I realize there's so many misconceptions of food, of exercise, of health itself. What is healthy? What isn't healthy? But unfortunately, social media, the internet just makes it a million times worse. I can scroll on Instagram for 45 seconds and find that I'm either only supposed to eat vegan, I'm only supposed to eat carnivore, I'm only supposed to train this way, I should never do cardio, I should always run. Like, it's so conflicting. How do you help people through that? Because unfortunately... You said it before, when we're talking about like the Instagram perfect world that we live in today. And so many times I find people get paralyzed by the fact that they only want to do something if they know it is the perfect thing to do. They only want to start this meal plan if it is perfect. They only want to do this exercise program if it is perfect. Mm -hmm. And just when they think they've found perfect, with the swipe of a thumb, you find another perfect and another perfect and another. How do you help people manage that, the misconceptions that are out there?
1: Oh, I know there's so much bad information out there. I get the question all the time. So I want to lose weight. Do I do cardio or lift weight? And is it heavy weights or is it more reps or whatever? I'm like, okay, first of all, if I tell you what to do, it's going to be cute for about five minutes and then you're going to hate me. So we're not going to do that. What is the thing that brings you joy? For me, for example, I love to run. I'll do the Peloton, but I don't want to ride my bike outside and I can barely like keep myself above water. So I'm probably not going to swim. So I do the thing that brings me joy because then I am more apt to stick with it. I love lifting weights. I too did CrossFit. And so, you know, I still have that that mindset um, and that makes me happy. For other people, it's not. They want to do Pilates or yoga or whatever. Do that. It's fine because that's for your mental health that isn't really to help you lose the weight. It'll help you lose some, but when you're talking like 52 pounds, it, that isn't through working out. For your nutrition, I always say we have to rely on, the data tells us what's going on in your body. And through that, I can tell if we need to adjust your protein or scale back your carbs or increase your fat or whatever. And I have all kinds of documentation that I share with them and what a good carb is, why you need fats, what's the role of protein. So I explain all of that because my goal is for them to never come back to me again. I don't want the renewal. I want them to learn what they need to learn and go live their life. And I try to tell them, when you find something on the internet, just share it with me. I can debunk a fair amount. I mean, there is some heavy things that I probably can't (laughs) dive too deeply into the inner workings of biology, maybe. But for the most part, if you treat your body right and you fuel it the, the way it needs to be fueled, you'll lose the weight. And once we get you to your goal, then it's about maintenance. And here's how we do maintenance. And I teach them all of that. Because again, I don't want them back. I want them to go live. Um, so I think it's just through that you know trusted relationship that a lot of times they bring the information to me and then I, you know, if I can't answer it, I do have some trusted people, hopefully, you know, I can add you to the list now, um, you know, that can vet it and say, no, this is garbage.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. This is something that I always like people's takes on, especially coaches, trainers, people that are working with other individuals. We have this world today that seems obsessed and addicted to the word motivation. Everywhere I go, all I see is I need to be motivated. This will get you motivated. I'm not motivated today, whatever it might be. Give me your take on motivation because I know I have my own, but I'd love to hear yours.
1: Oh, yeah. It is one of those trashy words where it's like, you know, do it anyway, right? It's the thing that I think energizes me because I struggle with that word too, is I don't ever want to feel that way again. The walking dead version of me. And so I'm going to get up and run because I love to run and I always feel better after. Am I exhausted right now? Yes. But I always feel better after. So I'm looking for that end result. And in order to get there, I have to do the run. My husband sent me something yesterday that said, because I had like a slow run yesterday and it said like a 12 minute mile is the same distance as a six minute mile. It's like you still did the mile or whatever the distance was. Right. fact is you did it and it doesn't matter how well you did it. As long as you got that same outcome that you wanted, that's the thing that matters. But what's your take on motivation?
0: It's a drug. I think that's the best way to look at it because most days when you really need it, motivation's not going to be there. Mm -hmm. On the day where work is terrible, kids are sick, everything's going wrong, If you have a special magic ball that can summon up some motivation on that day, then more power to you. But most people don't. And I feel like what happens in those cases is we go to social media, we go to a comfort zone to try to seek motivation. Unfortunately, social media has a detrimental effect on how dopamine releases in our body. and. Many people don't realize, but you always have a baseline level of dopamine that's free-flowing in your body. Certain things in anticipation of some type of a pleasure spike that dopamine. So for example, if you like chocolate, chocolate spikes your dopamine about 50% higher than baseline. If you like alcohol, if you like smoking, well, smoking increases about 150%. Sex increases at 200%. Social media increases at 200%. Uh, alcohol is about 250 cocaine's a little more than that methamphetamine is about a thousand percent the difference with social media and how it makes us feel is not as much how big the spike is yes a 200 percent spike is a big spike it's the abundance and the frequency that we live in that zone mm-hmm. so most people can't drink alcohol all day long they can't smoke all day long they can't have sex all day long they can't gamble all day long they can't do cocaine or meth all day long if they do it's a pretty bad ending they're not going to be doing anything after a while but social media is constantly there and it's there to the point where physiologically the structure of our brains are changing if you look at a child a 10 year old's brain under an MRI today, it looks completely different than it did 10 years ago. The dopamine receptors are moving in the brain and it all has to do with technology. And we become, when we try to yield motivation out of technology, what we actually, we don't get motivated to do the thing we need to do. We get motivated to get motivated, Mm -hmm. which then makes us a motivated procrastinator because we're motivated at that point, but we're not actually ready to take the step. And that's where I said before about finding the perfect. So, you know, the algorithms are genius today. They show us exactly what we want to see. So we're looking for the best fitness program. And, you know, if I'm, I'm a 47-year-old guy, so boom, I get a video from Arnold from 30 years ago talking about this is the way to train. And then I get a video from Chris Bumpstead, the current Mr. Olympia. This is how to train. And then I get this, and then I get that, and then... I get Joss Bridges in the CrossFit world telling me to do this. And you sit there and you live in knowledge overload Mm -hmm. because you just can't take that step and do those things that you need to do. So in my opinion, just my own opinion, motivation is a drug and it's not actually your friend. It's not going to yield the results that you want to yield. If you're looking for a friend to do that, you need to buddy up with discipline because yeah. it'll take you <laughs> a whole lot further. We
1: just want encouragement at the end of the day. You want somebody, you want to see somebody that is having a similar struggle that got up and did it so that you can do the exact same thing and you never find it. So yes. I, I totally agree with you. Stay off your phone.
0: Yeah. The, the phone definitely causes a problem. And it, you know what? It offsets our balance. And mm-hmm. I mean, Balance itself, even when we're in the process of living a healthier life, trying to pay attention to our nutrition, trying to look at our, our exercise program or whatever we're doing, you still need a level of balance. You still need to, quote unquote, enjoy life. And that's where I believe what you do, what you focus on is so important. Because if you're miserable, you're not going to stick with it. It's not sustainable. It's yep. really not. You can be as disciplined as possible, but at some point, even discipline at that point, it's like satiety, right? When you're satiety, when you're trying to eat something and you really hate it. If someone hates eating, I hate beets. I've hated beets since I was a little kid. That purple stuff would get in the mashed potatoes of my mom would make. Blah, it was terrible. Just not cool. But if you made me eat them every day, I'm not going to be any happier for it. It's not going to be... So I just, how do we... How do people find the balance in their life to be able to say, I essentially identify as a person now who wants to be healthy, Mm -hmm. I want to be that person that is strong, that goes to the gym, that really pays attention to my nutrition, yet at the same time, I want the balance of still being able to be me. How do you help them through that?
1: Well, grace is the first thing we apply, grace to everything. My son during COVID, we had maybe like, well, I mean, he was only 16 at the time, I guess, but like the beer belly look. He wanted to drop some weight and his biggest concern was ice cream. I love ice cream and he loves ice cream at like nine o'clock at night when you probably shouldn't be having it. (laughs) But we just worked it into his plan. We just, you know, we started the day with that in it. And then built the rest of the day around it. And that's the thing is you don't have to do without anything. I mean, quantity-wise, yes, you'll have to scale back. You'll have to kind of be a little bit more reasonable with how much you're ingesting of something. But it's about balance. I always tell people, I want to know your non-negotiables up front. Most people, it's coffee. Um, so let's look at your creamer take a protein shake of the same flavor and put that in there. So your coffee is now working for you. And they're like, oh my God, it tastes great. And I just got 30 grams of protein. I'm like, yes, you you have not done without at all. And they love that. And they're like, what else can I do that with? I'm like, oh, there's so many things, right? So I give them lots of ideas. I don't do meal plans for that reason, for the beat reason. Like, again, that'll be cute for about five minutes and then you'll hate me. And I definitely don't with, as as confident as I am, I'm still a people pleaser. I don't want anybody mad at me, so don't hate me. But it's about figuring out what are your non-negotiable and then also making space for those, like, again, I hate the word, but those cheat days, right? Where you want to like have the pizza or go a little bit off plan. Just understand you have to get back on if you want to hit those goals. All you did was push them out by a couple of days. Nobody died, nobody got injured. This is not a big deal, right? So it's also just, Perspective. I think people feel like they have to be perfect. They don't have to be perfect. I was anything but perfect. I can't even tell you the amount of imperfection that was in my journey and still is. But I, I lost the weight. I kept it off. I feel really good. I haven't changed clothing sizes at all. And it's because I have that discipline when I need to. And then I scale back at times when I don't need to. And in those winter months when I just like don't feel like going out for a run because it's like 12 degrees outside, I just don't. Like, big deal. <laughs> right. I don't know. I might gain a couple of pounds here and there. Big deal. I take it right back off. Like it's no big deal. And so people love that too, that there is like that flexibility. You don't always have to be on. You're not going to be in a cut for the rest of your
0: lives. So I think there's a a unique role that a coach has that people don't realize because it can take someone 5, 10, 15 years, even a lifetime to decide to make the right decision. You talked about your 77-year-old client before, how long it took to make that decision. Mm -hmm. And yes, we focus so much on take that first step, take action, do what you know is right, don't wait, don't wait for it to be perfect. But there's another side of coaching that I don't think people realize that you just touched on a little bit. And it's not even just maintenance. It's you. Start, someone finally makes a decision, 20 years of their life they didn't make the decision, and boom, you finally help them come to that decision. And the first week is so great. And then they have the day, the day where everything goes wrong, the day where the biggest speed bump of their life was in front of their car and they hit it and they took out their front end and the kids are all sick. I mean, everything just goes wrong. Yep. So what took them 20 years to make the right decision takes 10 seconds to go back off the path. Mm -hmm. How do you guide them through that process?
1: Oh, well, it usually starts with, for the love of Larry, you're (laughs) fine. This is okay. Like again, nobody was killed. Nobody was maimed. This is okay. We just have to get right back on plan. And that might take you a couple of days. Again, it's a fall. You're going to fall 400 times between now and the time you die. You will, like I do. Everybody does. It's a matter of applying grace and saying, again, this is this is not the end of the world. I have a client who I think her first week, the husband was traveling. The kids had activities in a thousand different places. But she noticed and I always say, if you do nothing else, at least notice that you wanted to make a better choice and just didn't. Like even McDonald's sells salads, right? Like you you don't have to get the bacon double cheeseburger. Right. <laughs> there's a lot of power in noticing that I think people don't pay close enough attention to. The fact that you're making these observations and that you're seeing your behavior is, also data. That is also really important to have. When we do our check-ins, they have a, a piece in there that's like, tell me the stories you're telling yourself. And they say things like, I should have done this, I should have done that. And I also don't play the should game. If I do, I'm like, you should be nicer to yourself. It's a matter of just choosing better next time. Okay. Now that the thing happened, the weekend from hell happened, Looking back on it, hindsight is 2020. What could you have done differently? Oh, I could have packed my snacks or I could have packed my entire meal or whatever. I could have done this. I could have done that. Great. Write that down. Like now you can use that. You can use that as like a lever for the next time this type of thing happens cuz it will happen. Life happens. I think they think they're in this like bubble. You know, they're incubated so that nothing is going to happen to them. No, you're going to travel. Do you know how many times I brought frozen chicken, like pre-cooked, pre-measured out frozen chicken across the country, bagged <laughs> up in in ice? Like a million times. Like I made sure I hit my macros. So I teach them tons about, you know, how to travel and stay on plan. And if you do nothing else, at least notice and make those observations, write it down so that the next time you might be able to apply them and be... A little bit more content with the choices that you
0: made. Excellent. Love that. Let me ask, because although you have an incredible impact on the clients that you work with directly through other efforts that you do, you actually impact many, many more people. So you have a TV show, you are an author. Tell me a little bit about those endeavors and where you see them going, what you love about it, and the and really the message that you're trying to get out from them.
1: Oh, thank you. well, so the show is called Joy Unleashed. Hopefully that's not a big surprise. It can be found on Roku, Amazon, Fire, Apple TV, and then all the podcast networks and i'm I'm having so much fun with it. In fact, I'm doing a two hour special coming up in like I think it's mid December around like navigating the holidays. Having reclaiming joy around the holidays when your crazy family is there and driving you bonkers or from a food perspective, like, how do I survive? So that's going to be really fun. I really just want to touch as many people as possible to encourage them to do what they can to just find joy in the smallest of moments. That's one of my ebooks is, is literally called that and how you can do that 15 times a day. If that's what you feel you need. You don't have to wait for some massive impending event or some life-altering transformation to discover joy. You can discover joy right now. There's a picture right behind you. I don't know who it is, but they're smiling and that makes me happy. Like, I think that's great. It's
0: Let's actually ask. Arnold Schwarzenegger.
1: So I need a new prescription. Whatever. That's It's fine. a
0: very young me and an Arnold Schwarzenegger.
1: That's you. Yeah. <laughs> the hair color looks a little bit different. I didn't want to point that out, but.
0: Uh, yeah, well, there was a lot more hair there too, let me tell you.
1: <laughs> um, so that's Joy Unleashed. That's, that's, I'm loving that. And, and that, the whole goal is to just, you know, reach as many people as possible. People that are looking for a solution, maybe I can find that I can uh, provide them with uh, recommendations or encouragement or whatever they need. I also wrote a journal called The, and I'm so, I have to say, I'll back up. It's an Amazon bestseller. So I'm so proud of that. It is called the Daily Dose of Joy Journal. I'm also dyslexic, so that is not easy for me to say. (laughs) I should have come up with an easier title, but I love alliteration. So that's on Amazon and there's daily inspiration in there. There's different writing prompts um, because journaling is such a huge part of this whole transformational journey. This is how we start to let go of the limiting beliefs. So really big on journaling.
0: Well, let me ask because because as we start to wind down a little bit, throughout your experiences, have there been any specific books, podcasts, resources that really significantly impacted your personal growth and your personal mindset? And if so, would you share them with the audience?
1: One of them is right behind you, Atomic Habits. I love James Clear, love me some James Clear and I will meet him one day. I, in the beginning, I had discovered Mel Robbins. So she was really helpful. She had started a mindset reset challenge like two months after everything happened. And so that was really helpful. There were like daily videos that just kind of like kept me going, get, got me hungry for more. I love Brene Brown. I think she is a pistol. And I got a lot of inspiration from her in their podcast, of course. Let's see, books. I have so many books. I don't even know if I can name them all. But definitely Atomic Habits was one of the ones that I, it's like sticky notes and all kinds of, highlight, highlighted all over the place. Oh, I should say, the book Blessed in the Darkness is the one that had that phrase, trouble is your transportation in it. So I have to give props to that book because that is, I think, what really got me through to the other side. I just, I used that phrase 10 million times until I got sick of it. (laughs) Then I used it again.
0: And I don't know that one, so that's definitely one I will check out. Very cool. And finally, what message, what mantra do you live by that you'd like to share with our audience as a source of inspiration?
1: Ooh, um, keep showing up. Keep showing up is something that, you know, in those days where, or those moments where you feel like it's just really hard, you're sick of it, you just want to kind of throw in the towel. I just tell people, keep showing up, show up for yourself. If you can't show up for yourself, show up for your kids or your spouse or your next door neighbor, whoever, you know, holds that currency for you. Um, because living in that living dead or the walking dead, you know, mindset is more torturous than anything else I can think of. And living now in a state of joy all the time, I think is the greatest gift. And I just want that feeling for everybody within my reach. I just want them to have that that feeling of content and just inner peace and self-love. It just, I just want that cup to overflow.
0: Lastly, you have some amazing programs, books. Where can our audience find out more about you, the things that you offer, to really be able to connect with you for guidance on their own journey?
1: Best place is Instagram, which is at the Colleen Greco. My name is uniquely spelled, so it's Colleen with one L and then Greco is G-R-E-C-O. That's the best place. They can always go to my website, which is ColleenGreco.com as well.
0: And for all the listeners, as always, all of Colleen's links will be in the podcast description. So make sure you check it out there. Colleen, thank you so much. This has been a fantastic conversation. You have some amazing insight. You truly do have an unbelievable and inspirational story. And I know that you have gone through a lot, but at the same time, you are channeling that to help others. And it's not only commendable, it's amazing. So thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Thank you for having me. This was a blast.
0: This episode is brought to you by Flow State Designs. They produce the best hemp fiber t-shirts you could ever imagine. You can check them out at flowstatedesigns.ca. And don't forget to use MindFit20 as your checkout code for 20% off. Stay driven, everybody. And until next time.